Would y'all pray with me? Father God, we, we're here. Um, we've showed up. And we're asking uh, that you uh, would meet us, that you would meet us in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of circumstances that we don't like, uh, in, the, in the midst of just so much unknown. We ask that you would meet us, and you would meet us today. And as we come to your word we ask that you would show up in ways uh, that are surprising, that are convicting, uh, that give us hope. Father, I love that I get to do this. I think it's crazy that you allow me to do this. And so I surrender myself to you. I surrender my thoughts and my words, the things I've thought about and, and worked on. I give it all to you to be used however you so choose. But please, Father, by your Spirit, come and speak to us, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. His name, Franz Jägerstatter. You've probably never heard of him. Or you've recently watched the movie A Hidden Life, which uh, was probably one of the most beautifully shot, uh, but also gut-wrenching films that I've ever uh, seen. But it, it's a film that tells the story of this man. He was an Austrian farmer during World War II. Um, he was a devoted father. He had three precious girls, a uh, loving husband. Uh, he was also a devout Catholic. But the movie's really about what happens when he's called to serve in the Nazi army. What's he gonna do? How in the world could he participate in such evil and still say that he's a follower of Christ? But on the other hand, not doing what he's been called to would mean a death, would mean him leaving behind his three daughters and his wife all alone. So what's he to do? The, the movie's over three hours, and most of the movie is him wrestling with what he should do. You know, and uh, he, he has an option of, of going into the army and working in the army hospital so that he doesn't have to kill anyone. Uh, but still, it's all for an evil purpose, and he cannot reconcile being a part of something so evil and following Jesus. But at the same time, he loves his family. And he wonders, if me refusing to swear allegiance to Hitler causes me to lose my life, Will that change anything? Will that stop the Nazi regime? Will that keep Jews from being killed and slaughtered? No. It, it won't make a difference to anyone except his family. So there's a scene in, in the movie uh, that I haven't been able to shake since I saw it. And it's where uh, Jägerstatter goes into this church and there's an artist there, and he's painting murals of, of Christ on the walls and on the ceilings. And this artist says to him, I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo. Someday, I'll paint the true Christ. Whoa! Has this pandemic exposed us? That's what I keep asking myself. Have I settled for a comfortable Christ instead of seeking the true one? We're in a time right now 
where our comfortable existence is being stripped away day by day, even moment by moment for some of us. And maybe some of our hidden addictions, those seemingly benign coping mechanism that, that we all have, um, are, are, are coming to the surface. Like how much we relied on other people to make us feel good about ourselves or, or to feel needed or, or we put so much into our productivity, our ability to get things done and be efficient. Um, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, uh you know, I, I, it's hard to get stuff done right now. And, you know, I know a lot of you that first week, week one, posted on Instagram and Facebook your list of all the things you were going to get accomplished and your schedule. Uh, but now we're heading into week six, and I doubt that any of us are still keeping that schedule, right? So much is being exposed in us right now. So much is being disrupted. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've been a follower of Jesus most of your life like me. I think there's an invitation in this awful time to really seek the true Christ, to, to wrestle with the question, have I settled for a comfortable Christ instead of the true one? And then allowing the true Christ to disrupt us in any way he wants to, to disrupt our schedule, the way we think. Everything in our life is being disrupted right now. We might as well let the true Christ disrupt us. Or maybe uh, you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe, in fact, you don't really know much about him. Maybe a friend or a neighbor or a family member sent you a link to the Easter service last week and you watched and something you heard uh, made you want to come back. And I'm so glad that you came back. And my hope is, what I'm praying is that all of us, whether we've been a follower of Christ for a long time or just started getting curious about who he was, my hope is that we would begin to see the true Christ and we would allow that to disrupt us. Last week on Easter Sunday, we began looking at a letter written by one of Jesus' disciples, John. We've been looking at, we started looking at 1 John. Um, and we're actually kind of starting the series officially today. It's a series we're calling When in Doubt. And in this series, we're going to explore the things that John writes in this letter to the church. It was a letter written probably 50, maybe 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, John, uh, as Jesus' disciple, was probably, I talked about this last week, was probably one of Jesus' youngest disciples, probably only a teenager when he started following Jesus. Um, and John was there. He was there throughout all of Jesus' ministry. He was there at the crucifixion. In fact, he was so close to Jesus during the crucifixion, uh, we're told that he was holding on to Jesus's mom. And at one point, Jesus even looks down to him from the cross and says to him, son, this is your mother, essentially saying, take care of mom. He was there for that. And then he was there for Easter Sunday. We, we looked at that last week and how he and Peter showed up at the tomb to find Jesus gone and how they were one of the very first witnesses of the resurrection. He was there for that. And John was also there as Jesus ascended to heaven where Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, okay, y'all, now it's you. You're gonna be my hands and feet. Now go out into all the world proclaiming the good news of new life. You know, it's you. Go and do. Go and tell. And then he was there as the church formed, as it began to take shape, as people came together around the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But when he writes this letter, he's an old man. He's lived most of his life. In fact, uh, he's the only disciple who lived to an old age. So that meant he watched as all his other fellow disciples died, most of them martyred for the sake of Christ. So he's seen a lot. He's seen the church grow and thrive even under severe persecution. And now as an old man cramming for finals, he sits down and he writes a letter to the church. He writes the things that he wants us to know, that he wants us to hold on to. And it's interesting, as John is writing this letter, he's beginning to see a new wave of of Christians take over and, and, and be in leadership and kind of younger Christians. And he picks up on something. See, as the church grows and as it gets further and further away from the origin story, as it gets further and further away um, from the martyrs um, and the persecution, John begins to pick up that these younger believers really want a Christianity without tears. They, They want a comfortable Christ. And so John writes a letter to show them who the true Christ is. And so that's what we're looking at. Last week on Easter, we looked at the introduction to the letter. If you, if you weren't with us, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and watch it or listen it, uh, listen to it because uh, it really will help set up what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. Uh, but today we're going to start reading in 1 John 1. I'm going to start reading in the fifth verse. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word. So John starts off, he says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The psalmist wrote of God, if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The true Christ is light, which means he can only deal with things as they really are. You and I, we look at things and and base a lot on, on how they appear. But Jesus can only deal with things as they really are. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Do y'all know that on Zoom, there's a function that you can click. There's a little setting you can click uh, that will fix your appearance. I just discovered, I've never been on a Zoom call before all this stuff started happening. And now I'm on Zoom calls all the time. And there's a setting where if I click a button, it'll fix my face. So you see these lines right here? 
see these lines? I push that button, gone, just completely gone. And my wife Kelly was uh, going into CVS the other day, um, and it was there was no one else in there, and um, and so she started talking to the the clerk who was working there, asking had they been busy. And the clerk said, actually, they hadn't been very busy at this CVS. And Kelly said, well, what's the thing that people come in to buy most often? And she, the, the clerk said, well, mostly do-it-yourself uh, hair color, uh, which I get, right? And listen, there's nothing wrong with dyeing your hair. There's nothing wrong with the little airbrushing. But y'all, you're not fooling God. He sees us as we really are. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, uh, was prophetic when he said these words. The look of things impresses us, but all things are naked and open before him. The Lord never misrepresents nor has fellowship with misrepresentation. We are forever hurrying about with our paint and our varnish and tinsel, laboring to make the cheaper thing appear equal to the more precious thing and spending our skill in making the sham as brilliant as the reality. God is light. There's no darkness in him. He can only deal with us as we really are. I've been, uh, every morning since this stay-at-home order, uh, been reading through the the Gospel of John. So it's written by the same John that's writing the letter that we're studying. Um, and it's been so good for my soul. And if you are looking for something to read, I want to encourage you, pick up the Gospel of John and just start reading it. In fact, my, my friend, Gary Abbott, our Waterford campus pastor, uh, just put a blog out on Summit's website this past week, encouraging all of us to read the Gospel of John. Um, he's challenged us to read God's Word for 21 days straight. There's 21 chapters in, in the Gospel of John, so each day you can read a chapter. Um, and I'm telling y'all, I'm, I'm a, I, I got a head start. Today I'm on chapter 16, so I'm almost done. And it has been so refreshing to start my day this way, so much better um, than, than starting with the news. Um, so, so you should do that. Um, and, and the fact that it's written by the same guy that wrote this letter that we're studying, um, it complements it so well. But there's a story, the reason I say all that, is there's a story towards the beginning of the Gospel of John uh, that's always struck me as... as um, meaningful and profound, uh, but it's, it's taken new meaning even in light of, of what John writes in this letter. He, Jesus uh, meets this Samaritan woman at a well. And you probably heard the story. It's a pretty familiar story. But uh, the story goes, Jesus is at a well. It's around noon. His disciples are off trying to find food somewhere. He's all alone. All of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes walking to the well, which at, at the start, you know something's up because she's not with anyone else. Uh, the women usually went to the well in the morning or in the evening um, so that they could get water together, so that they could, you know, gossip about things, you know, water cooler talk. Uh, but this woman comes in the middle of the day all by herself. So from the very beginning, you know that she's an outcast. You know that there's something about her um, that's shameful or, or that, uh, that has ostracized her from the rest of the community. She walks up and Jesus begins a conversation with her. And he begins by asking her a question, which I love. And when we see this throughout the scriptures, Jesus, and, and we see it in the Old Testament, God constantly comes after us with questions. Why? Because questions invite relationship. So Jesus says to her, can you give me a drink? And then they start going back and forth. There's a little bit of banter going on. And at one point, Jesus looks at her and he says, you know what? 
why don't you go get your husband? And the woman knows she's been caught a little bit, and she says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says to her, I know that. You are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now in the in fact, you have five husbands, and the man you're now sleeping with is not your husband. She's caught. And she immediately changes the subject. She begins to ask some theological questions. Uh, but then ultimately, Jesus looks at her and he says, Listen, what you've been looking for, who you've been looking for your whole life, the Messiah, it's me. He tells this Samaritan woman, this shamed woman, who's lived a, a pretty um, painful and, 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 and broken life, he looks at her and he says, I'm it. And she's the very first person that he reveals his identity to. And all of a sudden, you can see this change in this woman because it hits her. It hits her that when Jesus looked at her and said, I know, you have no husband. In fact, you have five husbands and the man you're now sleeping with is not your husband. She realizes that this Messiah who's sitting across from her, he knew all that about her. He knew everything about her. He knew her entire past. He knew all of that before he ever asked her for a drink. He pursued a relationship with her, knowing her, seeing her fully, and knowing all that about her, he still loved her. The true Christ can only deal with us as we really are. Something happens when we step in the light. Going back to uh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 1 of 1 John, it says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that makes perfect sense. Last week on Easter Sunday, I talked about how John didn't see salvation, our personal salvation, as the end, but as the means to the true end, which is fellowship, true fellowship. And, and fellowship just means authentic community. It means real relationship. And what you and I were ultimately designed for is eternal relationship, both with our Creator, with our Savior, and with each other. And so John says here, if you and I, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're, we've stood before God and he's seen everything about us, just like that woman, and he still chose us, he still pursued us, he still loves us, that sets us free. Now you and I, we have been told we're loved by the only holy one, by the only one who could stand in judgment against us. He said, I still love you. That frees us to be able to tell the truth about ourselves to each other. And not only that, you and I need to tell the truth about ourselves to each other. I have often asked God after confessing something to Him, um, can that just be between you and me? And in my experience, He always says no. And I hate that. Um, but in James, um, James is the brother of Jesus, um, and he wrote a letter to the church, probably the first letter written to the church after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, but James, he writes to the early church in, uh, in James 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There is something that happens to us. There's, there's some kind of healing that happens in us 
when we confess our sins to each other, when we're involved in relationship, in true relationship with others, when we share our struggles, when we allow others to see us and really know us. I did a Q&A on Summit's Instagram this past week, and someone asked the question, what, what has God been teaching me through this pandemic and, and through everything that's going on? And I've talked about uh, how I've started struggling with anxiety, which I've never struggled with before. Um, I talked about it uh, when I preached on Psalm 13, uh, and it's still there, and I still have this pit in my stomach and these racing thoughts, and sometimes I can't really um, explain why it's happening or what triggered it. It just is there. And so one thing that I feel like God's teaching me is, is how to give that over to Him, You know what it really means to cast all your cares upon Him. Uh, but maybe more important to me than that is that uh, he's teaching me how to be a better dad. I've got a son, and, and I asked him if I could tell the story, and he said yes. Um, but I've got a son who, uh, who I think struggled with anxiety um, most of his life, and it's never made sense to me. I've never understood it. But the other day, I was telling him about how I was feeling, um, and he just got this look in his eyes, and he was like, Dad, yeah, that's it. Like, that's how I feel most of the time. And, um, uh, and, and so, I, you know, through all of this, um, as much as this stinks, as much as I wish it would be over, I'm so thankful uh, that God is giving me a small glimpse uh, into my son and my son's reality. C.S. Lewis says friendship starts the moment someone says to, to someone else, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's what we need. That's why I love being a part of this church, why I've always loved being a part of this church, um, because this is a place where, where you can tell the truth about yourself. We have a community called Regroup um, that is, is it's a community designed specifically to be a place to come and just share your struggles and know that once you've shared, you'll, you'll hear back, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And that's so important, especially in this time right now of self-isolation, especially in a time of so much uncertainty and, and people losing their jobs and loved ones getting sick. I mean, this is the breeding ground for our addictions to take over. And so maybe you've had success with things that you struggle with in the past for a long time, and they're starting to bubble up. Or maybe you're like me, and anxiety and worry has become a new thing for you. You've discovered that you've got other things that you didn't even know you had. Uh, please don't do this in, in, in solitude. Like, bring it out. Bring it into community. Regroup is still meeting online every Monday night. Jesus tells us that in the light, we have true fellowship. You and I have been seen and loved, and even in all our mess, he says, I still choose you. I still pursue you. You are now free to tell the truth about yourself to others and know that it, in fact, will help. In fact, it will lead to your healing. James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Not held accountable, not beat up, not kicked out. We tell the truth about ourselves to each other so that you and I can experience healing. You know what happened when the Samaritan woman uh, left Jesus at the well? After being seen and still loved, we're told she goes back to the town, back to the town where she's probably caused a lot of problems. She's probably messed up a lot of marriages, uh, back to a place where, where 
most people judged her. And she says, hey, y'all have got to come meet this man who just told me everything I ever did and still loved me. And we're told because of this woman's testimony, many people believed in Jesus. So you and I, we're supposed to tell each other the truth. And by telling each other the truth, we're invited to encounter, to experience the true Christ. My uh, mentor, Steve Brown, says that as Christians, we're just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. James tells us, confess our sins so that we will be healed, so that we will be fought for. Um, and that's, that's essentially what Jesus has done for us. Those last verses I read, uh, starting in chapter 2 of 1 John, says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you won't sin. Like, don't sin. But if you do sin, or maybe rather when you do sin, know that we have an advocate with the Father, one who goes before the Father, pleads our case before the Father, who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then it says, not only does he speak in our defense, but he is our righteousness. It says Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Y'all, that's it. That's the heart of the gospel. That is who the true Christ is. That's why this matters. If that's not true, then we might as well like pack it up and, and go away. Like That is it. And as we look at John's letter, Many commentators and theologians talk about how John's letter, 1 John, is really a, a good letter to read, uh, to examine yourself, to see whether or not you really are a follower of Jesus, if you really are a Christian. Um, and many point out that, that John kind of lays out three tests in the letter, a theological test, a moral test, and a social test. And we're going to be looking at the moral uh, and social test in the coming weeks. But this is really, this is the theological test. Do you actually believe the gospel? And listen, as we examine the moral test and as we examine the social test, if we find ourselves failing, our response shouldn't be to beat ourselves up or to feel like we're out um, or, uh, or, or to run away. It should be to go back to the theological test, to go back to the heart of the gospel Listen, I'm, I'm as much a sinner in the light as I am in the dark. But John writes to us, 1 John 1.7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Yes, I should try to get better. I should try to do better. I should try to do all the right things. I should try to follow the example of Jesus's life. But it's Jesus's blood that cleanses me from my sin. That's the gospel. That's the picture of the true Christ. Spurgeon, preaching on this text, ended his sermon with these words. Remember in the matter of taking away sin, the first thing is not the throne, but the cross. Not the reigning Savior, but the bleeding Savior. 
not the king in his glory, but the redeemer in his shame. That's the true Christ. That's the picture that Jägerstatter was, was seeing when he made the decision to deny allegiance to Hitler. But here's the thing. If he had made a different decision, it's still Jesus's blood that covers him. No matter what decision he made, it was already done. What Jesus did on the cross, when he said it is finished, it was already done. Jesus's blood had already purified Jägerstatter from both his past, his present, and his future sins. And he's done that for us. John, this disciple who lived his whole life pretty much in the service of God, I told you was at the cross, right? He's the only disciple that we know of that was actually there. And, and he was right at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mom. And so not only would John have seen the blood, not only would he have seen it pouring out, but he was so close he would have heard an interaction between Jesus and a thief dying next to him. The thief looks at Jesus and he says, I, I have done nothing to deserve forgiveness. But would you remember me when you come into your glory? And John, this disciple, probably 19 at the time, would have heard Jesus say to this thief, you're forgiven. My blood is sufficient for you. And in fact, today you will be with me in paradise. John spent 60 years at least doing good for God, building his church. This thief didn't spend even one day serving God. And they are both completely cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There's not one atom of difference between the two of them. This, this, this dirty thief is cleansed by the same blood as the old faithful disciple who wrote this letter. So when in doubt, if this pandemic has caused you to doubt a lot of things, Maybe you've been wrestling with thoughts of uh, this isn't all true or God isn't real or God doesn't love me. When in doubt, or maybe, or maybe your addictions are taking over and you, are, you know you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing just as a means to cope. When in doubt, look at the true Christ. See his blood and know that he's seen you and he knows you he sees you as you really are, and he still chooses to love you because it's all about grace.